Welcome to another episode of Chic Compass Connection. This podcast will give you a glimpse into the window of the popular Chic Compass magazine, where we feature art, music, design, fashion, dining, and all things chic for the culture-starved audiences of the world. To view our magazine online, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot com. We would also like to thank the Vegas Room in the Historic Commercial Center in Las Vegas, Nevada, for inviting us to their supper club to broadcast our show. I'm your host, Jamie Hosmer. Let's introduce today's guest. Stacy Alavilla wears many professional hats. She's an author, financial instructor, realty sales associate, and also store manager at Diptyque at the Wynn Hotel Casino in Las Vegas. Stacy knew she wanted to be a writer when she heard a recording of her grandfather, Stephen Swidarsky, who was a POW in World War II. She had a dream for his story to be told in the form of a children's book. She wanted to help deliver a message of American pride and gratitude for our veterans and active military. Her book, The Bearded Marvel, is the fulfillment of that dream. Stacy, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thank you. All right. So as we sit here in Diptyque, which you are the store manager of, uh, tell us a little bit about this place. Ah, I would love to. It's such an honor uh, working for Diptyque. It's a beautiful Parisian collection. Um, we sell perfumes, uh, but we are also artists. So everything in our collection is artist-inspired. Um, we have a beautiful range for the home, candle collection we're very well known for, um, as I mentioned, fragrances and also body and skincare. Very nice. You were mentioning to me how the candles got to be so popular, especially in the United States, right? That's correct. So legend has it. <laughs> Sex in the City, our very favorite, Carrie Bradshaw, uh, she actually would burn our bay candle on set all the time in her apartment um, when she was having you know, her, her fun with Mr. Big. And uh, so many New Yorkers saw that. Of course, I think everybody in the world saw that. Um, and they got really excited about Diptyque. They wanted to know what this uh, bay candle was. So uh, when it launched here in the U.S., or you know, really when it became popular here in the U.S., was the early 90s. And it was really because it was on set of Sex and the City. It's on TV. No, that's great. That's a great story. If Carrie Bradshaw has it, then. It's a great story. And and I will say that all of the products have a very upscale and and, uh, lavish feel to them. Definitely. So I think when, you know, you're founded by three artists who are, you know, best friends and all of different backgrounds, um, there's a lot of inspiration for a very beautiful collection. Yeah, they really do. They are pieces of art. They are. That's true. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So... Let's move on to financial instructor. (laughs) Tell me about that. Oh my gosh. Well, for as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to get into investing. Um, And so I found this incredible group of people at 101 Financial who uh, teach a very different form of banking, uh, smart banking that actually helps to reduce consumer debt very quickly. Um, And it's kind of a way to be innovative with your money. And it also allows people just like me, just like you, just like any anyone else, um, to start investing. And we invest in real estate. That sounds like something everybody should need to know. <laughs> and it's been very, very fun and very rewarding. 
Fantastic. Yeah, I, I would assume uh, helping people with their finances and a, and a better way to do things is a rewarding thing. Yes, yeah, it's great. That's fantastic. All right. And finally, you are an author. I am. Okay, so tell us about your grandfather. Oh, my goodness. Well, an incredible man, a family man, and lots and lots of fun. <laughs> so you knew your grandfather. I did know my grandfather. Okay. Yes, I was very fortunate to know him um, until he passed away in 2012. Passed away in 2012. So you grew up in Ohio, is that yes, correct? Yes, yes. So growing up, was it sort of a family story? Absolutely. His World War II story, right? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, growing up, we knew that my grandfather was a prisoner of war. Um, you know, there was medals and there was clippings all around the house. We knew about it, but we never heard his story from him. So it was very interesting. And it was also one of those topics where <laughs> you don't really just ask, you know? Right. I mean, you kind of, you know, it's a sore subject. It's difficult. There's, you know, a lot of, a lot of depth to it, but we were kids, yeah. you know, and we, it wasn't really our place to, to ask for that tale. So, but I thought about it a lot. I remember as a kid always thinking, you know, we go to these POW picnics and we celebrate mm. with these other families and we, we have a lot of celebration around the fact that he was such an incredible, you know, human being that came from World War II and POW right. and, you know, this incredible story shot down and, you know, but we never knew the details. Okay. Right. So it was just one of those things where we lived not knowing, but kind of knowing, and we never really talked about it. <laughs> so, and then there, there was an interview that he gave right? Yes. And is that how you actually heard the entire story? It is. So tell me about how the interview took place. So it was really interesting because this interview was around for many years without anyone knowing. Wow. <laughs> really? Yes. And um, so it was actually my cousin and she's mentioned on the dedication page. Uh, so my cousin, we call her baby Nikki because there's two Nikki's in the family. So two Nikki Swidarski, she's the, the young one. She actually found it for something she was doing in college, and it's through the Veterans Historical Project. Okay. Um, they they actually hire people to come in. Actually, I think it's all. I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure it's all volunteer work. Um, people that come in and they say, "Okay, we're willing to do you know X number of interviews per year," and they based on where they're located, they'll actually contact those veterans and see if they're willing to do an interview for them. Nice. Yes. Nice. So this incredible man, um, Thomas A. Swoop, um, he actually was based in uh, the Cleveland area at the time. And uh, he sought out my grandfather and did an interview for them. And we should note that the interview is online for anybody to listen to. And what I'll do is I'll post the link uh, in the description of this episode so that everybody can click on it and listen to your grandfather tell his story. How awesome. Yeah. And there's actually a QR code on the back of the book and on the dedication page of the book. So we actually made sure to have it available to anyone, even if you're not purchasing a copy and you want to pick up a, <laughs> the book and, and scan that code, you'll be able to listen to his This his will words. take them right to it. Exactly. I'm holding your book in my hand. And before we get into your grandfather's story, 
because I'd love for you to tell, you know, tell his tale a bit. Um, the story of a prisoner of war from World War II doesn't off the top of my head seem to be the best subject for a children's book, right? Yes. So what made you say, I'm going to write a children's book about that? <laughs> so funny. Um, first and foremost, I want to admit here now, I've got a very quirky personality. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that I do, um, you know, for the most part would be considered something that's like a usual connection, right? I've, I've just kind of got a different way of thinking about things. Um, and it really came to me be- because I listened to this as soon as this interview surfaced, I probably listened to it on loop a hundred times. Okay. You know, it's the first time I'm hearing my grandfather's voice in six years after he had passed away. You didn't hear the interview until six years after he passed. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, just... He was a secretive guy. He was. He was. <laughs> and the funny thing about it is my grandmother's She's on the recording a little bit, and she knew about it, and she's still alive. So we, t- we ask her all the time, how did we not know about this? Um, but I, I think it was because I had listened to this interview so often mm. that, and I was just so fascinated by the story, I ended up having a dream that he told me the story as a child. So I was young, and I had asked him the question, can wow. you tell me? And he did. Wow. So that's actually the context that the book is written in. In your dream, he told you the story. Yes, from his mouth to my ears. And you were in the dream you were a child. Yes. Well, that is fantastic. That's yeah. a, really amazing. Uh because he probably did come to you in a dream <laughs> and tell you his story. Exactly. So get into it. So yeah, so Let's I mean, know his story. yeah, so so the the book itself is actually written in that context. It's very conversational. It's it's him telling me, and uh, it's your dream. It's my dream. Okay. And it, what's funny is that I actually tried to write it in several different formats. I wanted it to be a little more biographical when I first started, and things just kind of took many twists and turns, and I I changed um, several times on how I wanted the the outlook to be. And I finally one day just sat down in quarantine of 2020. <laughs> I just decided I'm going to write it exactly as I remember this dream happening. And within two and a half hours, I had the entire uh, copy of the book written. Two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Wow. After the... several months of going, how am I going to get this thing to happen? Wow. Um, tell me about the title and where that came from. My beloved husband. Oh. Yes. So he actually um, was really unsure of this concept prior to my beginning this <laughs> this book. Um, and so he actually, it was a very kind of weak name for a long time. I didn't really know what to call it. Um, and so I mentioned to him about my grandfather having all these different nicknames. And he goes, well, tell me which, what are his nicknames? And so when I told him, he has several, so he always chewed tea berry gum. So a lot of people called him T-Burs for short, um, right? We're, we're talking, you know, 1930s yep. and 40s. This is yep. a very popular gum back there and he used to chew it five at a time. Um, so T-Burs, um, of course, Nonal, that's Italian for grandfather. Okay. And then... Um, he actually was coined the nickname the Bearded Marvel when he was being held prisoner in this war camp in Germany. And so when my husband heard that nickname, he goes, oh my gosh, he sounds like a superhero. And he was. So that's it. Wow. What a great story. Okay. So tell us a story. What happened? He was in the 
Army Air Forces. Yes. Correct? Yes. And was he a pilot? He wasn't a pilot. He actually had the position of a waste gunner. So when you look at these massive planes that they would, you know, fly in and out um, during World War II, they had positions all throughout the plane. So they had positions on the side, um, up in the front, the pilots, out the back, you name it. He was one of the operators of the machinery, the, the weaponry along the side of the plane. So he was actually the waste gunner. Okay. And so he, you know, trained for quite some time here. Um, he was very honored to be a part of the Air Force. I think back then, you know, there were, there were different categories of the military, but this was a very prestigious um, position for him. And he, he was drafted, correct? He actually enlisted. He enlisted. He enlisted. Okay. Um, because I think everybody was. His brother was also a part of, um, you know, he was planning to go as well. Right. Um, but he was actually an amateur boxer in Pittsburgh where he grew up. Interesting. Yeah. So he actually, he really dreamed of becoming this pro boxer. He was very skilled. He was very talented. Um, and he fought and he actually earned several division championships on a s smaller scale in sure. Pittsburgh. Um, wow. Yeah. So that was kind of his passion, but he knew that, you know, with all of what was going on in the world and, and everything that was happening, that it was just a matter of time before everyone pretty much his age so went he to war. So enlisted, he went. let me go help. Let's, let's do this. Definitely. So they were actually uh, based in Italy. They flew several very successful missions. Um, and actually their plane was named Harry the Horse. So they had this wow. really, yeah, I guess a, a lot of the guys, um, they would nickname their their planes, yep. you know, make something fun and light. Um, so they they had several very successful runs okay. um, that they ran, and it was about I think it was their thirteenth mission. It was on Ash Wednesday, nineteen forty four, and uh, on that particular day, there's ten guys that were part of his bomb squadron. Okay, and on that particular day, one of them was sick, so he had to stay back. And they had to get someone from a different bomb, bomb squadron to come into their mm -hmm. their group to to run this. They call it the milk run, right? Because it's supposed to be this very simple in and out of, of enemy territory. It was, it was supposed to be quick and very simple. But they needed all 10 people. They needed all 10 people. Okay. So they had someone else come in and he was actually... Uh, he was actually trained on the same position my grandfather was. So he, they actually put him where my nonal used to, to be on the waist gunner Okay. that day. Um, so he actually moved to the nose gunner. So he was right in the, the front of the plane on this particular milk run, so to speak. Um, so, and there was a whole fleet of planes. They all went. Um, and then the enemies were actually waiting for them on their way back. Hmm. So they were actually shot down uh, over Austria. Okay. Yeah, their, their mission was to literally fly in and out. Um, there was a uh, ball bearing factory that supplied weaponry for the enemy. So it was their mission to basically drop over okay. this, you know, bombs okay. over this particular ball bearing factory mm -hmm. and then go back to Italy. Um, so on this particular day, they, you know, they were shot down. Wow. So the plane was shot up really uh, quite a lot before they actually executed the plane. Um, but what's really interesting is there was a total of 10 men, right? Only seven made it out alive. Wow. Now, the position where my grandfather typically would be was one of the unfortunate it's one of the casualties. Of the day, it's one of the casualties. So wow. 
Yeah. So uh, on that particular day, he was incredibly fortunate to be in the nose of the plane. Wow. So that person that got sick actually saved his life. Saved, saved his your life. grandfather's life. And the person that took his, his spot. Wow. You know, took, you know, he, he right. didn't make it out. So, so um, what was ex- especially interesting was that the way that, my understanding, the, the way that his position in the nose was set up was there was actually a latch and a door behind him. Okay. And it was the pilot's job to make sure that he was able to get out. Well, this latch was stuck. So he couldn't actually get out on his own. He knew they were going down. He tried, he tried, he tried. And then he just decided to sit back and pray. Wow. And that's something he talks about in this interview. And you're just like, wow, wow unbelievable. So the, um, and the pilot, you know, he made it out as well, but he, he made sure that my grandfather was able to get out of that door. Although it was stuck, he was able to help him out. They threw on their parachutes and they all parachuted to safety. They, you know, as, as much as yeah. you consider safety in that right. moment. And um, did, I mean, obviously they knew, they knew where they were, right? They knew they were in Austria at that point or were they not sure? They, I would imagine that they knew where they were. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I would imagine that they knew that the, that there were other soldiers waiting for them when okay. they did get shot down. There were several planes, to my understanding, that were shot down that day. Oh. So many of them were taken to wow. prisoner camps that day. So they land in, in foreign territory and they all get picked up. Do, do, who, who picked them up? So the, my understanding is that there were... You know, of course, enemy soldiers waiting mm-hmm. for them. My grandfather actually landed in a stream, in a creek, um, and it was, he, he describes it, there was probably six feet of snow. I mean, it was, wow. it, it was absolutely dead uh, winter time in Austria, you know, wow. February, you know. Great time <laughs> you to imagine. land in yeah. running water. And in running water, exactly. <laughs> so, um They were at the other side, or they were on both sides of the bank. Um, So his parachute, of course, you know, was out behind him and he, you know, lands. And luckily he landed in that, in that stream Mm -hmm. the way he did um, because he landed safely. But of course they were there and they took all seven of the men, kept everyone together at that point in time. And they went over to something that he sort of described as, as, he thought it was a bomb shelter. He he didn't quite understand where he was. And of course, you know, nobody speaks the same language. Yep. Um, you know, they're all shouting at them and, you know, firearms in their face, you, know, you name it. It's just this really, really scary time. So they ended up um, marching these men to where they, they stayed. Um, so Stalag Luft 6 is where he, he ended up. Um, there were several of these prison camps. But that was actually, the name of... This particular this one. This particular one. Were all seven of them at the same camp? No. So they actually did get uh, split up. And my again, my understanding is that the pilots um, were very highly regarded by even the enemies. Um, and so the pilots ended up going somewhere separate and kind of, I think, tended to a little differently. Mm. They had a lot of respect because of okay. their positions. Okay. Um, but my grandfather actually found his little you know, circle of people of Pittsburgh's, <laughs> you know, people that were from Pittsburgh. Wow. Um, they called themselves the Pittsburgh boys. Right. So they became very good friends and remained friends. I mean, th- those are the people that we, I can remember going to these picnics with when I was a kid. Um, and as I mentioned, he was a boxer. So he talks a lot about 
how they could make something out of nothing in okay. these prison camps. Okay. And uh, what was so fascinating is that he actually started to train. I mean, I guess the, you know, the Red Cross had, you know, sent different sporting equipment and just things that they could. Um, and so they actually had some of these things in their camp. So my grandfather wanted to stay in shape and, you know, stay healthy while, you know, he's in this imprisonment. Yeah. Nobody knew how long it would be at that time. Right. So he would exercise and he would train and in his format, what he knew, um, you know, was this boxing. And some of the guards thought, oh, this guy could be pretty good. You know, they, they kind of liked what they saw. So they decided to, um, there was actually a Brit that was there. His name was, gosh, Sean Tracy. He was a, a British uh, heavyweight champ. Wow. And my grandfather was fighting at, a much lower weight class than him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, from America, he's not a pro, um, but he was good, you know? And so these prison guards decided to put together this boxing match. Okay. And it was a big deal. Wow. And, uh, you know, they had, even my grandfather talks about, they had these flyers that they made up. Um, you know, they had things that they would use to bet. He talked about cigarettes, that cigarettes were just gold in these prison camps. Um, Cause the American Red Cross would send, you know, some some uh, care packages, and they would include cigarettes of all things. <laughs> wow! And uh, so he said that uh, they they arranged for this fight, and um, this you know probably fifty pound heavier pro boxer he knocks out. He knocked him out. He knocked him out. He won the fight by. TKO. Amazing. So from that moment on, he had earned all of this respect from these prison guards, <laughs> you know, and they, that's how his name, the Bearded Marvel became what he was known as in the he prison He was camps. really like the superhero. He was the superhero for the Americans. That's incredible. Um, and did he talk at all about the general conditions? I mean, in general, were they treated fairly treated well um anything about that yeah it's funny so when you listen to him speak about it he just was such an optimistic guy and so grateful i mean there was just this constant reminder of gratitude as he was speaking wow. and although you know conditions got substantially worse as the war sort of went on at first you know he you, you know you think of these movies that you see on tv and he talks about this in the interview you know he says it's not like that sure they want to know your name your rank you know they rough you up a little bit that's what he says you know he's, he's talking about oh, you know they rough you up a little bit but it's nothing that it's nothing that was so severe okay from his you know from what he went through but now as time went on I and mean, he was in the prison camps for 14 months. Okay. So as the war kind of was coming near an end, um, you know, they weren't, they were getting one parcel per seven or eight people. Mm. And so, you know, they'd be lucky if they had a piece of bread split between seven or eight men, you know, per day, um, you know, soup was just literally water that was warmed and, wow. you know, so they were, you know, basically starving and they sure. would constantly have to go on these marches. Well, they're only taken in with what they're wearing. So some of these guys would, you know, fall during the marches and it was up to them to, you know, get their comrades up and, and take them through these marches and to make sure that they, you know, 
weren't yes. sent off to right. the place so that they wouldn't see him again. So, um, so yeah, so they really um, struggled, I think, as the time went on in the war. Um, but at first, and especially, you know, during the time when he was doing his boxing and, and whatnot, you know, times were good. And then I guess, you know, times were bad too. And, and especially when they knew that the Americans were going to come out victorious, you know, that's really kind of when things sort of took a turn for the worse for Americans in prison camps. So he was there until the end of the war. He was there until the end of the war. And do you know uh, how much time passed between, okay, the time they knew the war was over and the time that they were, you know, picked up? Okay, we're coming to get you. So my understanding is the day that they were liberated was the day that, or right around the time that they had actually, you know came in with their white flags. So the way that they describe this, this liberation day when they were actually picked up from the camps, um, and it was brief. I don't, I don't know the exact time frame, but just mm-hmm. to answer your question, it's, mm-hmm. it was brief, but he does talk about how he remembers this tank rolling in with the American flag on top of it. And prior to that, for hours, he said that they were just dropping bombs all around their camps. Like he, he could hear, you know, I mean, constant, you know, for probably a 12 hour straight, you know, bombs going off and, and, you know, um, weaponry going off. So, I mean, it was a very severe 12 hours prior, but as soon as those tanks came rolling through and the white flags were raised, that's when they knew, wow, you know, we, we just, we just won this war. That must've been quite a moment. Quite a moment. For all of them, right? Absolutely. Um, And all seven that were prisoners survived and got to go home. That's correct. Wow. What an amazing story. It is. Um, yeah. So for all the listeners, the link is going to be in the description um, of this episode. So go and click on it and listen to the bearded Marvel himself. Tell this amazing story. Um, it's incredible. So I'm looking at your children's book right here. And it's got wonderful illustrations. Who who did the illustrations? Oh, my fantastic illustrator. His name is Courtney Huddleston. Um, I actually found him over a website, a freelance website. And I have to tell you, I mean, he is just talented beyond words. He has just brought the story to a whole new whole new level. It's it's gorgeous. It looks fantastic. I mean, uh, your grandfather on the cover, he's got his boxing gloves. Yes, he does. Uh, he was a Golden Gloves uh, champ in Pittsburgh. So those are his Golden Gloves hanging over his his neck there. It's it's perfect. Um, so I encourage everybody to buy the book. Where can people buy this book? So you can actually go to Amazon. Um, and uh, what's really funny about the book is that you know, I, I spent some time trying to see if a, a publisher that was already in existence wanted to pick up my book, and it was pretty futile. I mean, I you know, I, I had reached out to a few companies, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to self-publish, and I'm yeah. going to create my own publication. So I actually have a website, um, americaspublications.com. Great. And uh, so you can actually order it on my website. And, uh, and then of course we're on, on Amazon too. So I, uh, you know, but if people order from your website, all the money goes to you. Absolutely. Right. So really that's the best place to get it, to support you, support the book and the memory of your grandfather. Yes. Right. And your family. Um, 
and more to come. I had a lot of fun creating this book. You know, it was really awesome. And I, I think of all the families that are out there that have grandparents that were, you know, um, veterans or parents yeah. for that matter. And, you know, it was a really fun thing. And I, I, I just want to keep going. I want to keep telling these stories and sharing them with, with kids out there that maybe don't have that um, veteran in their life and, and know how to, how to really honor them. Exactly. And how to, how to speak to someone, right? Exactly. How to just say thank you for your service. Absolutely. Because I think veterans really appreciate that. I think so too. Um, so do you plan on writing more? I do. You do? Fantastic. I do. Yes. Are you yes. in the middle of writing one? I am. <laughs> right on. So as I mentioned, um, the name of his plane was Harry the Horse. So in our next book, in my next book... Um, we're going to see Harry the horse come to life. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, we're going to see what his job is and, and how he uh, contributed to keeping those men safe that day. That's fantastic. So maybe a whole series of these books. That's the hope. I want to get in touch with as many people mm -hmm. um, you know, from this particular fleet and see if they're interested in kind of connecting the dots for people and, and putting those seven men back together again in, in their honor, you know, and, and really creating this, you know, I, I think about it this way. Um, we have many newer nieces and nephews that are <laughs> coming to me right in the family and, and, uh, they'll never get the chance to meet my grandfather. Right. It's quite sad. So yep. this is a way for them to be able to grow up with him and preserve hear his, his memory and his legacy. Exactly. Uh, how many other members of the seven are still alive? My understanding is there are less than 300 World War II veterans still alive today. Wow. And that was a stat that I looked at, I want to say it was at the end of last year, end of 2020. So to be honest, there's not many. Mm -hmm. um, even the youngest guys that were in World War II are in their nine, late 90s right. at this point. So um, there's not a whole lot. And, and actually out of that group, zero. So it might be simply recordings, Yes. right? Like, your grandfather's recording, and then their their family members, their sons and their daughters. Right? Yes. So that's the hope. You know, Facebook is such a wonderful thing, and I can connect with so many people. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the hope is that once I can, you know, kind of showcase some of these um, skills as an author, and yeah. you know, uh, Courtney's talent as an illustrator, perhaps they'll be excited to, you know, kind of preserve that story for their family members too. Absolutely. I would think people would want to connect with you, yes. you know, and tell their family history. Uh, Stacy, what a wonderful conversation. I can tell you, you telling that story, I had, you had me on the edge of my seat. It's, it's an amazing story, amazing tale. Your grandfather was an amazing man. Thank you so much for talking ah, with me. Thank you. Thank you. Have Thanks. a great day. You too. You have been listening to the Chic Compass Connection podcast. To learn more about Chic Compass magazine, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S.com. Thanks again to The Vegas Room for hosting us. Visit thevegasroom.com to find out more about this great supper club. This is Jamie Hosmer. Thanks for listening.